Yeah. So thanks for, thanks for coming, guys. We're, we're pumped you're here. Um, so I was actually here at 6 a.m. this morning. Woof to 6 a.m. But there was, yeah, a few of you guys were here too. Uh, we had like a men's event this morning here, and that was actually awesome. So it sucked that it was that early, but it was, it was great. Um, we got to hang out with guys from the church and stuff like that. And um, one, one of the things we were doing is Drew just had us like ask each other a bunch of questions, and they ranged everywhere from like, what's your favorite food in the world? Steak, of course. Uh, to like, how have you changed and matured over the last five years, Right. Um, but one of, one of the questions that, that stuck out the most that like, I ended up talking with the most people about was what's the most beautiful place that you've ever been? And, and so I've been thinking about that all day. What, what is that for you? Like, what's the most beautiful place that you've ever been in your life? So I heard like Banff from a, from a couple people. Um, Colin was talking about going up north with, going up north uh, with, with some of his friends uh, growing up, kind of going to the same place and, and camping there and kind of sleeping out under the stars like, and, and so I wasn't, I wasn't going to talk about this, but it, it got me thinking, I've, I've mentioned this before, but one of the coolest moments of my life was in Istanbul, Turkey, um, which, which shameless plug, go on a trip overseas this summer with Salt Company, guys. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I flew over to Turkey. I'm a small town kid, and I rolled into this city of like 18 million people, and I was a little overwhelmed, right? And, and like... Sure enough, the place that we were sleeping, like there was construction right next door. So I woke up the day after jet lagging with like a jackhammer right next to my window. Stuff was loud. I was confused. I got lost constantly. And so I was like, I was ready to get out of the city. And about three-fourths of the way through the trip, uh, we took this, this camping trip out towards the Black Sea. And uh, we, we stayed overnight. And at about midnight, I just decided like, guys, we got to go to the Black Sea we're here, we gotta do this thing, right? And so it was, I don't know, maybe a half a mile away or whatever, and me and like three other people just started walking towards it. And right around the Black Sea, there was like this, it was surrounded by these bluffs. And so we started walking up the bluffs, and then when we got towards the top, we were essentially like climbing. And then I stood at the top of this bluff and like looked down, and it was just like nothing, and it was like dead silent. And so I like got to the top of that thing and I just took off running and I like sprinted down the, the bluff, like threw off my shirt as I went and just like ran straight into the Black Sea. And it was a completely clear night, no wind, and the water was just like glass. And I ran into the sea and there was a full moon and it happened to be like almost directly by the shore. So I sprinted into the Black Sea and I literally stood in the reflection of the full moon and just looked at the stars. And it was like, it's that feeling that I don't know how to describe, but if you're thinking about the most beautiful place you've ever been, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Where like something in you clicks and it's like, man, like there, this is what I should be living for, right? Like, like there's something about, there was something about it that was just like transcendent, right? It, like I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was just caught up in that moment. I wasn't even analyzing the moment. I was just like, just captured by like the beauty that I was a part of, right? And I think you guys know that moment and know that thing that happens in your heart when you have like those epic experiences in your life, when you get out in creation and you just go, man, like this is, I'm a part of something bigger than me. I'm a part of something transcendent, right? Like you know that feeling, but here's what's true. Here's what sucks about it 
is it always ends. Right, like I, I stood and I had this, this moment, but then I had to, to turn around and leave and go back to the noise and the city and all this stuff and just kind of go back to normal life. And that's the tension of what it's like to be a human being that was made for something more than what we have but is stuck in this world. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I've, I've shared before, but it's too good. I'm, I'm just going to keep throwing it out that I want to read to you that, that talks about this. This is from C.S. Lewis. Most people, if they've really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There was something which we have grasped at in the first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. Something has evaded us. Here's what's evaded us, is that we were made for something more, for something bigger, for something more significant than what we're living for. We were made for eternity. And we get these little like breakthroughs of eternity where we get a little taste of what that's like, but we can't hold on to it. And we, we live in this tension of, of trying to figure out how to, how to get that moment back, how to kind of get eternity back and to live for that moment, but we don't really know how to get it. And another way to say it is we're not actually satisfied with our life. There's no one in this room, I don't care what you're saying to anyone else, there's no one in this room that's actually satisfied, like in your guts, in your soul, that is just saying, I've got everything that I need. You're longing for something more than what you have. And for the rest of your life, everything in your life is going to tell you that something on this earth can answer that like ache in your soul. It's going to tell you to chase something here. And what it means to be human is to chase all of this stuff that we think is going to satisfy us, that we think is going to make us happy, but it never actually satisfied. So when you walk out these doors, everything is going to tell you to go pursue selfishness and pursue whatever you want in your life because it's going to make you happy. But the reason that I'm here, the reason that Salt Company exists is to remind you that that's not true, that you were made for eternity and that Jesus has the keys to eternity. He's the only way to find it. And so we're going to look at John 4 today. And I, I taught John 4 over the summer, and so maybe some of you are here for that. So I'm going to repeat some of that stuff. Deal with it. You're fine. Uh, this is one of my favorite texts. I've thought about this a lot. I've taught it a lot. Um, and, and this is what I want you to see in John 4. We're going to get an example of a woman who is chasing something. She's chasing satisfaction in life. She's chasing something more, and she can't figure out how to get it. And so she just goes further and further and further and deeper and deeper into sin and worshiping things that aren't Jesus and she can't find what she's looking for and Jesus is gonna approach her and he's gonna offer her everything that she's been wanting. So we're gonna look at that and then we're gonna kind of finish out on John 5, which there's a little section in there that talks about eternity. It talks about the real thing that we're looking for. So let's look at John 4. So if you've got a Bible or your Bible app, flip open with me to that. I want you guys looking at the Bible every week. That's pretty important. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it in the Bible. So John 4, 3 through 6. He left Judea, that he is Jesus. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. 
So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus is exhausted from a long trip. He's chilling at a well, and he sees something weird. There's this woman who's alone, and she's walking towards him at the well. So here's why this is weird, for a couple reasons. Okay, the first reason, it's, it's the sixth hour. The sixth hour just means it's noon. It's the middle of the day. Okay, where is this happening? It's in the Middle East. You're in a hot, dry climate. So if you're going to do hard work, which this is, you have to walk about a half mile outside of town. You've got to carry this giant clay jar on your shoulder. You've got to dip a bucket down into a well and pull it up full of water about 100 feet or more. It's hard work. You're not going to do that in the middle of the day. That doesn't make any sense, right? So they would go in the morning or the evening. The second thing you're not going to do is do it alone. Hard work sucks when you're doing it by yourself. It's a little bit better when you're doing it with people, right? And so the women of the city would all go do this job together, either in the morning or the evening, yet this woman is alone. So there's something wrong. There's something weird going on here. We're going to figure that out in a second. But first, Jesus is going to ask her for a drink. And I don't want you to miss what's happening here because this woman gets super confused by him. This is what's happening. Jesus is using a a physical analogy about water to communicate a spiritual truth. So like through this whole conversation, if you go back and read it, it's actually kind of funny. She thinks they're talking about like the water inside of the well and Jesus is saying, no, 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 I've got a water that you don't even know about. I've got something that'll satisfy your soul. And he's gonna flip the script on her and say, hey, I don't need something from you. You need something from me. All right, so let's read it here. Verse 13, John 4, verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, so this physical water that's in the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus offers her eternity, what she's been longing for. And they kind of continue this conversation about water. And then Jesus seemingly like changed the, changes the subject completely out of nowhere. So they're talking about water. And then all of a sudden Jesus is like, hey, go get your husband. And it's super random. It doesn't make any sense. But if you pay attention, Jesus actually isn't changing the subject at all. He's actually pressing further in to what they were just talking about. So verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have, no, you, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So some weird stuff just went down. Okay, did you catch this? Jesus and this lady don't know each other. So if we've never met and I walk up to you and I'm like, hey, my name's Jordan. And then I tell you everything about your life. And I start talking about your family and what you ate for breakfast this morning. That's a little weird, right? Jesus just like read her mind and knows everything about her life. The second thing that's weird is he presses in to the most painful, significant part of her life. Did you catch that? This woman says that she doesn't have a husband. She's kind of evasive, but Jesus presses into it and says, yeah, you're right, you don't have a husband because you've had five. And the dude that you're living with now, you're not even married to him. In other words, this woman has been sleeping around. She's gone from man to man to man, and now she's living with a dude that she's not even married to. And and here's the deal. You can get kind of a stigma attached to your name if you do that now, depending on like what circles you're in, right? 
Can you imagine what that was like then? Okay, so this is what would happen if you slept around with people that weren't your husband or if you had five husbands, is you would be isolated, right? So your family would abandon you, your community would confront you, and then they would kick you out of their community. And so we just figured out why this woman is at the well alone. It's because she's screwed up. She's a sinner. She's a social outcast. And she's coming to the well alone instead of with friends because she doesn't have any friends. Now, why was this worth it for that woman? Okay, so she had to have known when she skipped from guy to guy to guy, she had to have known the consequences of those decisions. She would have known that people would abandon her, that she would get kicked out of the community. So the question is, why was it worth it for her? Here's why. Because her hope for satisfaction in life, for meaning and significance in life was in men. She thought, you know what, it doesn't matter if everybody else abandons me. If I just have, have one guy that will kind of validate my existence, that will kind of say that I'm worth it to him, that will never leave me or forsake me, then I'm gonna be fine. And this is what happened. She got in that relationship and found out that it couldn't satisfy her soul. Instead of realizing that it was insignificant, she just jumped to the next guy and then he didn't satisfy and then she jumped to the next guy. Here's what I want you to see. You, you gotta see this. There's a reason why this woman's story made the Bible. It's because her story is our story. Like you gotta see yourself in that. That that's true of all of us. I don't know exactly what that is for you, but all of us are chasing something and we tend to double down. Right, We pursue a, a career or a girl or money or your dream job or your dream vacation or like whatever the heck that is. We pursue all of this stuff and then when it can't satisfy you, instead of realizing that it's not enough, you double down and you go back to it again and you go further and further into sin and further and further away from Jesus. So I read one of my favorite books I've ever read this year. It's called Unbroken. It's about Louis Zamperini and it's like, Guys, you gotta, wow, Hannah dropped her water bottle. Come on, Hand. Uh, we call her Hand because her nickname is Han, and then that somehow became Hand. So that's why I just called her Hand in front of you. Anyway, so unbroken, Louis Zamperini. So Louis Zamperini was a World War II pilot, and his plane went down over the Pacific, and he survived in a raft for 47 days. 47 days, and they essentially had like no food or water because one of the schmucks that he was with like ate everything like the first day. And so they had essentially nothing and they survived. Yeah, I just said the word schmuck, okay? Anyway, so we're back. I'm, you guys should actually adopt it. It's a great word. It just means like punk or, anyway, okay. So, so he survives on this raft for 47 days and it's a crazy story. You gotta read it, dude. Like, he, he survives, and then he gets into this prisoner of war camp, and then he survives that. He, like, catches an albatross and eats it, and it's creepy but awesome. He punches sharks in the face. Okay, that's a little preview. But one of the crazy things about this story that kind of that struck me is that this entire time, he was completely surrounded by water, the largest body of water in the world, and he was dying of thirst. And that's kind of like weirdly ironic, right? To be completely surrounded by water and to be dying of thirst. Why? Because it wasn't the right type of water. If he would have drank that water, it not only wouldn't have satisfied him, but it would have actually made the issue worse. It would have dehydrated him more. 
And this is what I'm telling you is that's what the human experience is like. You're completely surrounded by water. You're completely surrounded by things that will promise to satisfy your soul. But if you pursue them, it's not going to quench your thirst. It's actually just going to make it worse. And so that's why we need Jesus, right? Which we're going to get there. But I want to unpack a couple of those things that we look for satisfaction in. And I want to use John 4 and John 5 to do it. So in John 4, we just figured out that this woman is looking for satisfaction in men, right? So some of you are looking for satisfaction in relationships. So you know that friend that you used to hang out with like five days a week and then he gets in a relationship and you never see him again? You know that guy? Like some of you are that guy. Or you know like the, you know the PDA couple? Like come on with the PDA, all right? Like I, so I had, a, I had a roommate in college that was the PDA couple and uh, he was a large dude and she was tiny and so she could literally fit inside of his lap when he was sitting on a couch. So he would like sit cross-legged on a couch and she would sit in his lap and then he would sort of like bear hug her like this and so I would just walk into my room and there would be this like tangled mass of humanity like sitting on my couch. <laughs> and it was just like, come on guys, right? Like what are we doing here? Here's the deal, when you're single, it's pretty easy to point out how ridiculous couples are, right? Like couples are just, they lose their minds, right? Like you, you just lose it for a while. But you know the second you're getting in a relationship, you're doing that same crap, right? Why? Because relationships become all-consuming. And our culture feeds into that. You've been brainwashed through your whole life like these romantic comedies and Disney and these royal weddings. Like, why do I care about British people getting married? Why is that on my news? Like, I don't understand that. Somebody else explained that to me at some point. Um, all of this stuff, the culture feeds into that. And actually, there's this, there's this dude who's a, a lecturer at, at Berkeley who, like, studies this. He studies romantic relationships. And there's this quote about it that I think is pretty telling. So this is what he says. What is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to this position, to that kind of high position where they're like everything, they're all consuming. We want to be rid of our faults. We want to be rid of the feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified. We want to know that our existence hasn't been in vain. We want redemption, nothing less. Needless to say, human beings can't give you that. When you make something, not just a good thing, but like a God thing in your life, you will look to it to justify your existence. You will look to it to give you redemption. And here's what relationships had promised this woman in John 4. They had promised her that she would never be alone. That if she could just have that one right guy, that, that he would never leave her, he would never forsake her that he would always desire her. And where did she end up? Alone at a well, undesired. Because stuff that you chase in this world are gonna make promises to you that it can't keep. It can't keep the promises. Okay, so that's looking for satisfaction in relationships. If we jump forward to John 5, so you can flip over to that, kind of take a look at it. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read the whole story to you but to kind of summarize how John 5 starts, John 5 is about looking for satisfaction in religion, 
looking for satisfaction in religion. And so it starts out with this story of, of this guy who's essentially been crippled through his entire life. He's been unable to walk from what I can tell from the text. He's, he's not very mobile and he's laying by this, this pool that was supposed to have like magical powers. I don't know where they got this idea, but they had this whole idea that if you got into this pool first, like at the right time, then you would be healed. So this dude's desperate. He's, he's doing weird stuff to try and get healed. And Jesus walks up to him. This guy for 38 years had, that had had this debilitating disease and Jesus walks up to him and he says, get up. Stand up. And this guy that had tried everything, who had probably gone to every doctor, who had tried every like, way to heal his legs, in a moment, Jesus looks at him and he heals him. And he stands up and he starts to walk away. And it doesn't say this in the text, but I gotta imagine this dude was having a blast. Right, like I've, I've, if this is me, I'm like running circles, I'm skipping, I'm doing whatever, right? So that's like how I'm picturing this guy. And then in come the religious fun haters who just like shut this whole thing down. All right, so these guys named the Pharisees, they come in and they kind of chew this guy out a little bit and then they find Jesus and they're arguing with him. Why? Well, because Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath, which long story short, the Sabbath was supposed to be this day of rest and they made up all of these rules around the Sabbath that said that you're not supposed to pick up anything on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Like, Jesus just transformed this guy's life forever and these religious people are worried about him carrying his mat. Like, talk about missing the point. It's ridiculous. And, and you see, like, these guys throughout the Bible, they're just... They just have this kind of rules-based, joyless religion that they use to sort of condemn themselves and kind of beat themselves into following God. If I just got to follow the rules. I just got to be put together and then maybe God will be okay with me. If I can just do the right stuff, then, then, then he'll look at me and say, yeah, you're okay with me. And they put those rules on other people. And here's the deal. Some of you are more like that than you want to admit. So you've like missed the point of Christianity. You, you've, you've spent your life doing Christian stuff, showing up at Salt Company, going to connection group, reading your Bible, whatever that is for you, having like nice little Christian morality and kind of looking down on people who don't. You spent your life doing Christianity and you missed the person that the whole thing was about. And you've turned Christianity into something about you and so in your world, it's like God sitting in the audience and you're kind of putting on a show and you're hoping that he really likes the show and kind of claps for you. But here's what's true. It was never about you. And if you do Christianity like that, you're gonna live a joyless kind of just hard existence because you're just gonna be like following the rules, but you're not gonna actually know the source that can help you through your life. And here's what I want you to see is true about both the woman in John 4 and the Pharisee in John 5. For, for both of them, sitting right in front of them is the very thing that they've been looking for their whole life. The very thing that they've wanted and never found. So for the woman, right, she had, she had been pursuing guys because she just wanted so badly for someone to pursue her and say that she was valuable. And what she didn't realize when she was running after guys is that Jesus was running after her. There's so many barriers between Jesus and this woman. 
There's the barrier of gender. At this point, men, particularly rabbis, like would not even talk to women in public, but Jesus sort of humbly and kindly talks to her. There's the barrier of race. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. There's a long, bad history there. Jews think that they're better than Samaritans. There was Jews that when they take trips, they would walk all the way around that country just so they didn't have to come into contact with a Samaritan. And Jesus is sitting by her at the well. But the biggest barrier between him and her was her sin, her lifetime of sin. And Jesus is pursuing her right through it. And she's missing it. She's missing that that's what she's needed the whole time. And the Pharisees have wanted so badly to be impressive to God, to do the religious thing, that they miss that the source of all religion, God himself, is standing in front of them. And we're missing it too. We're so busy trying to get to God that we're missing him. And living life for something other than Jesus Right, the other stuff that you run to, particularly religion, live in life for something other than Jesus, other than eternity, you're settling. You're settling for a worse life than you could have. It's not that your, your desires are too strong, but they're, that they're too weak. Okay, that's another C.S. Lewis quote that I wanted to share with you. Here's the quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Have you been too easily pleased in your life? Okay, like this is, this is what I'm telling you is anything that you're living for besides Jesus, you're sitting in a mud puddle. And Jesus is coming to you and saying, I have a better life for you. It's, it's not just like, oh, this is the way you should live. It's like, this is the way that you could live. He's got something better for you. He wants to invite you to the ocean, to a vacation at the ocean with him, but are you too distracted by your mud, by just the sin that you're sitting in, the stuff that you're pursuing? He's offering you eternity with him. And so let me transition a little bit. I want to talk about that eternity that he's offering you. All right, so I'm, I'm looking in John 5, starting in verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So there's a lot in there. Like if you were following along, there's some crazy stuff in there. All right, let's look first at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Did you catch how he just described human beings? Okay, so he's about to talk about the future, but right now he's also talking about the present. And this is how he describes human beings, that you're dead. You're dead spiritually. And anything that you do to try and put yourself in better standing with God is completely useless. You can't bring yourself to life. 
You need Jesus to look at you and to say, wake up and to have you come to life spiritually. And if you're running to religion to try and make you right with God, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a corpse and hoping that it'll come back to life. It's not an effective strategy. But what did he say? All those who hear Jesus' voice will live. It's this simple, guys. Jesus speaks to you and he says, hey, look, I want a relationship with you. I want you to pursue me instead of everything else that you've been pursuing. And if you simply say yes to that, you will have new spiritual life. But here's the deal. There's more to it than that. There's even better news than that. So it's not just that you'll be raised to life spiritually now. It's that you'll be raised physically in the future. Okay, did you catch that? Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Okay, Jesus is not the only person who rose from the dead. He's just the first person who rose from the dead. Someday you are going to rise. Jesus will speak and your tomb will be empty. And what this is saying is depending on how you live now and what you believe now will be the difference in whether you rise to be judged and sent away from him forever or whether you rise to live in eternity with him forever. Okay, now I just wanna, I wanna stop here and just acknowledge this whole like us rising from the dead thing sounds crazy, all right? Like let's just call this what it is. Like even if you've been around this for a while, that's kind of nuts. If you're a skeptic, you're like, I, you lost me, man. Okay, I get it. I'm a little confused by this too. But, but here's what I want to say. Think about who God is. So if God can create everything, which I think there's pretty good evidence that he did, right? We know that, that you can't get something out of nothing. And so the fact that there's something must mean that there was a creator. And this place isn't random. It was designed and I think you can believe that logically. If he can create something, can't he recreate something? And if Jesus can rise from the dead, which by the way is a historical fact, I'm, I'm gonna stand on that. It's the best explanation for what happened in Jerusalem. It's not even close. Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus can rise from the dead, can't he rise you? This is God we're talking about. And this is the hope of Christianity. It's not some sort of vague, like future heaven that we kind of don't understand where you're sort of in the spiritual state or it's like something that's happening to you mentally. It's that, that you physically are gonna get out of the grave and you're gonna be given an entirely new body. A body like Jesus's after he rose from the dead. A body that's like so amazing and so supernatural that if the future you walked into the room right now, we would all fall on our faces in amazement and we'd be terrified. And what are you gonna do in that new body? It's not just you that's gonna be recreated. It's this entire world that's gonna be recreated. And so this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna explore God's creation together. So if you don't have that story of going to Banff, if you trust Jesus, you're going to explore it someday. He's going to give us new bodies to explore and rule over his new creation with him. The, the terms about heaven in the Bible are very physical. It talks about a feast. We're going to eat like delicious food and drink wine, and we're going to hang out with Jesus. We're going to climb mountains and stand on top of them and see how amazing they are, only they're going to be even better than they are now. Like, you know when a, like, when a kid... Is, just, is playing, like a kid invites their friends to play. Do you ever stand around and like analyze the purpose of that? 
Like, what's this play for? No, 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 what's the point of play? It's just to, like, sheerly enjoy, like, get the maximum amount of joy out of life. That's what we're going to be like. We're going to have the rest of eternity to just get the maximum amount of pleasure out of Jesus and his new creation that we can. And there's this this crazy truth that, that blows my mind, like a theological term. It's called progressive glorification. So here's, here's all that this means, is that for the rest of eternity, you will grow in joy. You will add capacity to enjoy your life. Because here's why. Because on that day, when you're with Jesus, just simply learning about him will be the greatest thing that you've ever experienced. You know when you're like in a new relationship and all you wanna do is like learn about them and you're like pumped about that? Okay, take that times 100, that's what it's gonna be like to know Jesus. Like the best day of your life doesn't even compare what it's gonna be like to learn one fact about God. No, here's what's true about God is he's infinite, which means you could learn a new fact about him every day for a million years and never run out of room. So I know I'm getting heady here, but here's what that means, is for the rest of eternity, your capacity to enjoy new creation, to enjoy who God made you to be, will grow. So my, my niece is, she's about seven months old, and she just discovered her feet. It was amazing. So like, I think she didn't know about her feet, and then she like put them up in the air, and she seriously just, and then she, she just started like giggling. And she's been like amazed by her feet. And she's like just staring at it and like soaking it in, right? And I'm just sitting there watching this going like, oh, you have no idea what's coming. Like you're amazed by your feet. You're about to like investigate the entire world. Like imagine her capacity for joy. When you get to heaven, you're gonna like discover your feet. And then you're gonna start to discover like this entire new world that you were made for, that you were created for. And you're gonna spend the rest of eternity investigating it. And here's the deal. Eternal life is not just the future. Heaven is not only a place to look forward to. It gives you perspective on life now. So here's why I care about this. I'm not naturally a joyful person. I, I've told you guys before, I've struggled in the past with like anxiety and doubt and depression. And I like realized in that that my life was like a, a walking contradiction. I was a joyless Christian there should be no such thing as a joyless Christian, not with the hope that we have. And so I started trying to figure out how to experience life a little bit differently and, and how to just make Jesus the focal point of my life instead of me the focal point of my life. And so I just started thinking about heaven more and more and what it would be like to know him. And here's what happened. It's, it's like my life was like entirely, you know, like on your phone, like you, you zoom in, right? And you get far enough in and it's like pixelated and you can't like really see what it was. That's what I was doing. I was so zoomed into the immediate in my life that I couldn't see like what was around me and the, and the beauty of what it meant to know Jesus. And so when I started looking at heaven, I just started to zoom out on my life and the picture started to form. Guys, your life right now, it's like a speck. And this room is eternity. But here's the way that almost all of you live is you stand there and you just stare at the speck and you analyze it and you freak out about it. And I'm saying like, take a step back. Look at the hope that you have and let that inform the immediate. And here's what that means. Is that literally anything that you give up for Jesus is worth it. 
Because in exchange for whatever you give up, whatever idol you stop pursuing, whatever thing you you stop chasing in order to chase him, he's going to give you eternity back. Okay, a little crowd participation, then we'll close out. Does anybody have a quarter? Raise your hand if you have a quarter. Or some sort, okay, you got one? Can you take it out of your pocket? Or out of your purse? Sorry, this takes a minute. If anybody has like a quarter sooner, are you, you're almost there? Oh, it's your Aldi quarter? Okay, but I still, okay, this is good. This actually fits the illustration because I still think you're going to like this. Okay. I want to offer you a trade. I want to give you 20 bucks for your quarter. You down for that? If I don't want to take it. You want to take it. You want, I'll give you your quarter back at the end. All right? Okay. Besides that being her Aldi quarter, that, that illustration would have worked a little bit better. Uh, I'll give you your Aldi quarter back. But here's the point. And that, yeah, that was my 20 bucks. She's got it now. Uh, here's, what? What's that? You wanted my 20 bucks? You can't have it. Sorry, Michelle. Um, here's my point is following Jesus is an investment, Right? And so to like, to sit and like be bummed that you don't have a quarter anymore other than it being the Aldi quarter, but to sit and be bummed that you don't have a quarter anymore doesn't make any sense. Why? Because you just got a 20. And this is what I'm telling you. I'm I'm begging you to see something that Jesus is asking you to give up things in your life, to stop chasing whatever you're chasing. But here's what he's going to give you in exchange. Eternity. Like you give him your lust, you give him your relationships, you give him your money, and he gives you an eternity of joy. He resurrects you from the dead. It's worth it. It's worth it to follow him. And so every day when you wake up, you've got a decision to make. Whether you're going to invest in this life or in the life to come, and Jesus is begging you, hey, give me that useless crap that you're living your life for. Give it to me. I want to give you something better. I want to give you something to live for. The question is, is whether you're going to make that investment or not. Let me pray. Jesus, you're just better. <laughs> like in the end, anything we have to give up to follow you It just doesn't matter because you're so much better. Teach us what it looks like to set our minds on eternity, to set our minds to life in you. Help us to be people who live for something bigger than this world, who find satisfaction in who you are for us, not in who we can be for you or not the other stuff that we're chasing. And help us to to learn what it's like to have joy. Jesus, not just like when stuff's going well or not just when we're happy, but to live lives like of this consistent hope for what you've got coming for us and would would it affect the way that we live life now? Would we make the investment to get the awesome return? Would we invest the little bit that we have to give up now in order to know you forever? And thanks for that hope that you gave us. We, 
We love you and we trust you. Amen.